Voice at the Table provides practical information to ensure people with a cognitive disability have a real and equal voice on boards, committees and advisory groups. We do this by providing training for people with an acquired brain injury or intellectual disability and through a peer-led monthly meetup. We educate organisations and government departments to use inclusive meeting practices by providing training and resources. But most importantly, VAT tries to make the world a place where everyone is equal and can participate by being given supports they need to contribute the way they want. Our board is disability-led and our resources and training are co-produced and facilitated by people with a disability. Come check us out, voiceatthetable.com.au. We gather together today on this special place to continue our learning journey together. We acknowledge the boy Barung and Boom Barung, people of the Kuma Nation as the tradition Kajasian of this land and waters of the place where we are recording this podcast and the sovereign had not been Jesus. We knowledge and pay respect to the oldest past and present and emerging. We also pay respect to the first Nathan, you are listening. We remember the self-advocates who have worked really, really hard over the years for the right for themselves and other people with disabilities to live in the community and for equality and human rights for all. Nothing about us without us. That chat. Being born with disability, I did feel like an outcast. A lot of people didn't understand disability back then. I mean, it's back in the 80s. I'm talking the 80s and 90s. So yeah. a lot of people didn't have an understanding of intellectual disability, and that's why I got bullied a lot because I had no understanding whatsoever, and the town didn't understand neither. So people who lived in town were like, you know, they didn't make me feel as welcome and didn't have an understanding. They thought I was just a bit weird. And, and that caused me, like I said, to, to get bullied, which led into depression and anxiety. And now, years on, people in the town have accepted me and, and have a, a, a bit of understanding about my intellectual disability, which is really good. And it's taken years to, you know, get there, to get them to understand, but they're slowly understanding more about disability uh, and a bit about also mental illness, which is really good too. So Canvas is a lovely town. And Warrnambool's the same. Warrnambool has come such a long way. It was a, another like sea town that just didn't really have an understanding disability, access, didn't know what, what you know, how to treat people with disability. Again, we have a town that's now starting to move and make people with disability more more acceptable than they're appreciated people now, people with disability. They're now making changes in the town to make it more accessible as well for people with disabilities. So I had a call not long ago from the standard. This young guy's running a story. He wanted to know some of the issues about access space in Warrnambool 
want to know what are some of the, the issues people with disability are having with the public spaces. And I brought up about the trainer. I brought up about the toilets. Uh, and I also brought up about one thing that kept, I kept getting, I was told about this ages ago, was that in Thomas Street, down sort of towards, as you're going towards IGA, they have this, I don't know why they're done this way, but they have what they call um, stones. It's old stones, really, really old stones. I think it's classed as blue stone. And it's actually on the road. It's just to give it that, you know, sort of sea town look. And people in wheelchairs cannot get over those stones. They have to go down yeah. further to cross over because, yeah, they can't, wheelchairs can't go over it. Walkers can't go over it. And it's just a real hazard, a trip hazard waiting to happen, an accident waiting to happen. I mean, you just, just... so I brought up about that to the young guy and, yeah, he put, hopefully he put that in the story. But, yeah, he's, what he wanted to do was just get some of the issues that, that people with disability are having and he wanted to take that to the council because the council wanted to know what are, what are some of the issues people are having with public spaces in regards to so the council itself aren't doing public consultations in that regard then yeah well i don't think so yeah that's this 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 guy said so he's just running a story about it, so and i like and then basically he was one that told me oh he goes okay so i want to know what some of the issues are so and i thought well you think they would know some of the issues i mean with the amount of plants that happen but yeah. obviously um not I, yeah yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Mm. I think. Like I know that um, Kylie's son, Harvey, had a big say, yeah, because he's in a wheelchair, he had a big say in, I think, the um, footpath they had to fix up in Library Street because Library Street was just a nightmare. Like the footpath was in shocking condition. So they actually ended up doing it up. So now see now it's a lot more smoother to walk. It's a lot more easy to walk on the, on the, on the footpath now. Yeah. The only thing is... So I do, I do, but I don't really like the crossing it. Like they've got a pedestrian crossing it around Warnable, like in Tomwell Street, Lobby Street, and the traffic literally cars had to stop. Well, I don't, I've lost count literally how many times I've always been hit by cars that haven't stopped at the crossing it. Like literally, quite literally, like about probably five, five, six times. Yeah, I think that's a universal thing. Because <laughs> I, I, I move quite slow, as yeah. you probably you, you may remember. And so for me to get across a road, it, well, especially like at a Zebral thing, the cars yeah. are like pushing right up yeah. on me to exactly. try and hurry me up. Yeah. I just can't yeah. go any faster. That's it. That's <laughs> that's it. Yeah, they're going to get used to it. As simple as that. And I, 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 I never rush across the road, I walk across first like myself. And, um, you know, it's especially if my foot acts up. If my, because I still suffer from leg and um, from ankle and leg pain. So naturally, if I'm walking across the road, I have to limp on my leg. Yeah. So it's like, because I can't put it physically down and it slows me down. So I'm just why well, that's why I walk slowly sometimes. If I, like, um, for example, today I was walking in tremor, so because both my feet, I don't know. I don't. I think because I did a lot of walking yesterday. I don't know, but for some reason, I yeah, feel like I got blisters on my feet. 
I feel like blisters there and I couldn't hardly walk. I'm just walking really slowly and you know, I've got cars trying to buddy, try and run me down. Like, oh, gosh, it's shocking to get this to go down the street today because I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm going fast as I can. But I, take, I had to take it extremely easy. And then I had to sit down for a while, for at least half an hour, just to get the leg a rest because it just acts up. And I, the minute that ankle or my foot, the ankle and leg act up, it just slows me right down. But I'm never going to get that, get rid of that because um, it's linked into my disability. So because yeah. I have ID, I've been told, and I have completely flat feet, I'm never going to get rid of that pain. It's simple, the pain's always going to be there. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, most of my feet issues have been because of the brain damage uh, that I have yeah. from strokes. Yeah. So that part of the the that correlation between the brain and my feet. Yeah. There's something wrong there. <laughs> so my feet stopped working and oh, you know I've got gosh. now I've got flat yeah. feet as well. Yeah. And yeah, I never had flat feet growing up. Wow. Yeah, I've had more I've had the flat feet all my life and yeah. it's and just, it is very it's painful. Just, I, I don't it's shockingly yeah. painful. It's like yeah. You know, I want to keep walking. I feel like, nah, it's not going to happen. I'm going to sit down, especially because I've got a bit of arthritis on your foot as well, I've been told. Uh, when it rains, if it rains, it acts up automatically like that. And so I know <laughs> before it's going to rain, well, not, my foot's going to act up. I think, yeah, it's going to rain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Not, going to the, not going to the shops today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're listening to That Chat. Anyway, it does my head in. They want literally proof of my I, my, my intellectual disability. So I have to get a psych um, reviewer on my intellectual disability, on my mental illness, because NEIS say they need, they got proof. I had, like, I had an IQ test done years ago back when I was a teenager, but they yeah. said that's not a, that's not really enough because we want to know that you still have ID. And I thought you've got to be kidding me, really? What? Yeah, but then it's, I, I know, had it's, a brain transplant and now you don't have it. <laughs> that's the thing, and and apparently I'm not the only one who's having to have it to prove their disability. Apparently, there's been others in the same situation that've had to get a psych, you know, reviewer. And it's yeah. got a special name for it, chronic something, conic, conic or conic something reviewer, and it's still the That's it. Thank you. Well, that's it. That's what they want. And it's like just so they can say, yeah, you still have ID. Yeah, okay. Because they cut my, they literally cut my plan down because that of they seem to think I don't need much support. So because yeah, my they've, ID. they've done the same to me. I'm in the middle of a getting my plan yeah. reviewed. They took away my transport allowance. Oh, my God. So, how much? They used to get around. Exactly. That's, yeah. Oh, no. That's, that's your head in. Because yeah, I can walk for 10 minutes. That, that was their oh, rationale. Oh, that's an air excuse. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that's uh, yeah. ridiculous. And, yeah. and um. I, and I tell you, yeah, we've got so that, that's so I have to get in contact with my. I have a so I have, well, she's more, she's a she's a she does she's been dealing with she's been helping me out for a while. She's a like a grief cancel kind of thing, but she all but 
Jan also has a few other things she can do. She apparently she said she can do the continent test on me and do a complete overall of my health for me to send to NDI. So I just got to ring her up and make an arrangements to. Yeah, but why? Why should it? Why should that burden be on you? Yeah, I know. I know it's ridiculous. No, it's mm. I, I don't understand. No, never do I. Never do it, I. It's and I think it has to do with one letter. Mm. And that's the I in NDIS. Yes. <laughs> yes. In, insurance. Yeah. Insurance. Yeah. And when they set first set it all up, mm. everyone they got were bankers and insurance guys and yeah, things like that. exactly. Yes, they were. So actually, they turned it into a an economic exercise. Yeah. And what they found out is that's wrong, <laughs> completely exactly. wrong. Exactly, it, is. it and, is. And people with with cognitive disabilities have yeah. been targeted by this because yeah, exactly they're very much that uh, invisible. Mm. Invisible disabilities. Yes. Yeah. And so if they can't say it, that doesn't exist. Exactly. That's yeah. it. That's it. And, that, and I was just, I remember talking to my mum about it and she said the same thing. It's because she goes, they can't see you have a disability. That's the reason why they're assuming you don't need any heart support. I said, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. I yeah. said, it'd be a different story if they could see it, but because they can't see it, that's the reason why. And see, I also have epilepsy and, um, um, I had the amount of seizures. I know I haven't had a seizure in 22 years, which thank goodness yeah, that. I'm off medication. Right. But the amount of seizures I've had and the amount of time hit my head, it's yeah. It's um crazy. Like I um this uh, the last seizure I had was 22 years ago, and I um literally remember just hitting the van. My because I had a friend's place, I in the hit his van, I turned around. And I hit the clothesline and then my head literally bounced twice off the uh, footpath and I went from purple to grey. Mum thought she was going to lose me there and there. Oof, right. so that's another thing. They won't prove my epilepsy. I'm thinking to myself, how are you going to prove epilepsy? But apparently I reckon they say what that does. They said that I found I had a look at how they do it and they seem to think that their families, if you have epilepsy, they look for memory loss. I thought, oh, okay, and apparently look for um, something else as well, coordination apparently. That's how they do epilepsy. But I thought, but that sort of makes sense because my epilepsy was picked up through a, um, a CCT test and a head scan. That's how they found it. So I don't know how they can, how they can find epilepsy by saying, oh, well, if you've got memory loss, that means you have epilepsy. doesn't. My sister's memory loss could be from anything, really. Yep. Yeah, they reckon, they reckon, oh, no, that, that's how they determine epilepsy. And I thought, oh, okay. So that, that was my proof of it. So I'm yeah. like, okay. And I thought, then I'm going to have to have to do really for them to actually to see it. They're going to have to have a CT test done. But see, my stage has been asleep for nearly two, like 20 years. There's nothing really, I was it's still kind of active. It's still there, but it's not as, yeah, it's not enough to cause seizures. Yeah. Yeah. As I was told by my nodologist, he said, your seizures are sleeping. So he said, you'll have epilepsy to die because it lived in my, my disability. I was born with both. Yeah. But he goes, what happens is that it's going to sleep. So he said, but he said, you still got to be wary of what you're doing. I was thinking, you know, anything could just waken it up. And I did actually have 
a seizure prior to my stepfather's funeral. I had the the, the, the morning, yeah, I was in the in, during the morning when I woke up. So it was like a minor grand mal seizure. I had talked to my night guardist. Mum told mum said what happened, told him what happened. He said, he said, could the losing of her stepdad cause her to have a seizure? And he said, yes. Yes, it can. Quite easily. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, my mum thought for years about, because she always wanted to know what damage was going on in my brain. And she goes, because she, she turned around, she kept, and the doc, every time she asked the doctor just about what damage it was doing, the, all the doctors and specialists said, no, nah, nothing's happened, nothing happened, no, nah, no, nah, nothing would happen anyway. She then turned around and talked to another specialist and he said, he goes, you can't tell me every seizure she's having is not causing any damage. And he goes, he goes, yes, you're right. It is causing damage. He goes, every seizure she has kills of a brain cell. You can find out more voice at the table.com.au. I hate medications. Yeah, same here. Like I, I the side effects I used to get with some of them was absolutely insane. Like I was on I was on one medication that was supposed to help my depression and because my I, I got diagnosed as my brain was uneven. So I don't know what that means, but anyway, my brain was uneven, which is calling me depression anxiety. And they put me on this tablet, Dr. put me on this tablet, and it actually made my depression much worse. So yes. it didn't I make it better, exactly the same. it made worse. Mm. Yeah. It made me more suicidal and yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was an absolute mess when I was on the the anti depression. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. They uh, and it says it on the box as well. So it does. I don't yeah. understand how they've not been able to move forward. Exactly yeah. from that. Exactly, and I still I I deal with the depression. I still suffer from depression, but I deal with it in my own way. I you know and. Yeah. I don't know how I do, but I do. But I um, it's some days are harder than others, but I somehow get through it. Yeah, yeah. I, I personally, I paint. <laughs> it <laughs> helps me. Uh, yeah. Relaxes me. It's becomes a form of meditation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So tapping into that mindfulness yes, side mind. of things. I have to, I think what I have to do is I have to get back into yoga because yoga was the one thing that actually helped me overcome yeah. my depression. So, yeah, I, I yeah. think anything like that, you know, yoga oh, so, or, or so art I, or anything where you go into some sort of meditation, hmm. whether it's in, uh, intentional or not, yeah, you know, there's a, a saying, you know, oh, when I'm in the zone, nothing else matters. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that—that that is when you fight depression. That's yeah. when you beat it. It's, exactly. You know, well, not then, beat it, but that's yeah. where you learn to control it. Control it. And I also used to do—I used to do, which is also paid by NDIS—is sound meditation. I absolutely love sound meditation. It is like it yeah. was a savior. I remember when I first started it three, four years ago, and it literally helped me control that side of my depression. So I look forward every Friday night going to sound meditation. Tell our listeners what sound meditation is. So sound meditation is a, uh, it's a therapy 
a healing therapy. So you lay down in a room and then you have someone who plays, they, 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 this lady, she plays like drums from the start and then she switches from drums to these glass, big glass um, bowls, crystal bowls. And then she uses like a with a whiny thing, and then she and it makes a sound. It comes yep. out. Yeah. Uh, I think the and I'm for those of you in Radio Land who can't see me, I'm looking at Dan going. I think they're called Tibetan bowl, bowls or something like that. Yep. <laughs> and he's giving me the big thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, that's them. Yeah. And yeah, yep. she uses that. And then she uses like a uh, something like makes a, makes a whistling noise and yeah, and you're just laying there relaxing, listening to, to the sounds. And she also beats a drum over your body when you're laying down, and and that's she's at start of session. And and you, you, your body just goes through different emotions. Like first it goes through like a cold, really cold sort of chill, which is normal, and then it goes back and it gets back to being warm again. So yeah, it's. But it's you know if you suffer if you if you got any like if you have health issues or if you guys have pains or aches, I strongly recommend going to a sound meditation session in your area because it is it literally it literally has helped me control my my mental illness and it's also helped with my pain in my leg, and I have to get back into it again, really do. Yeah, so I, that, the lady runs that. She's from Portland, and she runs sessions in Warrnambool, Hamilton, uh, and then also in Portland. So, yeah, Portland, Warrnambool, and Hamilton is where she holds her sessions. She also does drum making, uh, and yeah, she's through NDIS. So yeah, that's good. But um, yeah, I've been using the uh, the YouTube. Mm -hmm. Overnight sounds. Ah, oh, yeah. on overnight. Yeah. So very similar concept. Yeah. Um, except that it's not uh, personalized for me. It's just a general Absolutely. sound for everyone. Yeah. Wow. I also have my. Um, I'm also heavily into my crystal. So this is a rose quad. Yeah, I always wear it. It helps with a bit of my anxiety, my social anxiety. I have the. Um, the salt lamps. I have a whole pile of crystals in my room, <laughs> like literally, because I'm just into all that. Um, and yeah. and they uh, just. I, um, I'm, I'm a big one on crystals as well. Oh, awesome. Pouch that I throw in my pocket yeah. whenever I leave the house. That's what I should do. I reckon that's what I should do because yeah. I only just wear the crystals, Barbie, me to take like get a little pouch to take with me on my walks to, to help you live more. But yeah. I, they, they were a lifesaver after me stepdad died. I got into them and it virtually helped me how still my depression, my anxiety, and it just makes me feel really calm. I just yeah. I have the, I have my crystal lamps and everything going throughout the day. And yeah, I could I even had it on while I'm sleeping because it helps me sleep at night. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to that chat. If we were to think about um, all abilities and how that's been a huge part of your life for, what, 10 years? 10 years, yeah. yeah. And you've been on and off with Saru doing different things over yes. probably the same amount of time. Yeah. 
how did you actually start? Like way back then, you know, had you know I young actually, Becky, mm-hmm. what was what what attracted young Becky into the self advocacy world? I guess uh, it all started when I, I I was working as supermarket. I was um, at FoodWorks for she over nearly ten years, and then I lost my job. I was retrenched because the boss thought his wife could do my job, child packing her. And then I went into class, doing a class, and the teacher there, who was my primary teacher, primary school teacher at the time, told me about Coinda and said, oh, maybe you just try, you know, just go Coinda, which is a day service for people with disabilities, and see what your life, see what we know, what something you might want to do or help out. I thought, okay. So I signed up with Coinda and... I think it was like a year or two later, that's when Valid came into Quinda and talked about self-advocacy to us. And we all said, I'm oh, Tom Johnson, I'm highly interested in this. So I didn't know much about it back then. So uh, I knew nothing about it. So when we started up our self-advocacy group, we started with a small amount of 40 people from each day service. Uh, the the represent- small amount. I, I, I still find that amazing. <laughs> but you think forty is a small amount? Uh, well, are. forty was that small or thirty? <laughs> no matter what it is now, I mean, it's freaking massive, man. I mean, there's over yes. hundred people. So yeah. Anyway, so that forty, yeah, forty or thirty at a time. Yeah, um, and the representative for that group was Phil Brown. So he was originally the founder of. Ability, he became representative for for um for Southwest Advocacy Group. That, and then they wanted they they um the lady who ran it because she was Priscilla, she was our facilitator. She said, How about we get a second representative in? And they so Priscilla suggested I become a representative, see so if people would want me to as a representative. I thought, okay. At the time I thought, oh no, I won't get voted in. But anyway, I was shocked to know that I actually got voted in and I've been the representative ever since. Um, Phil Brown has up and left because he had to move from where he was. He's more vulnerable, and he ended up moving closer to his parents in Adelaide. So now it's just me basically with Kylie, who's now the facilitator, has been for the last eight years. She's been the facilitator because Priscilla stepped down and she's in DHS somewhere doing something else. So Kylie was voted in to come in and um and so she she's been a facilitator for uh, yeah, a little over probably eight years, um, probably seven. So yeah, seven, eight years she's been a facilitator. I've been a representative for nearly yeah, ten years. And we also we we have we do have a second representative. And I think that second representative, if my memory corrects me, is Jodia. So there's two of us now running that, basically running the group. And, that, and um, so yeah, but yeah, when I first came into it, uh, um, it was with Sari sort of didn't come in until I think it was like a year later when they came to our first meeting. And they talked about how they could help our group and help our group grow. And, and then they um um they were making like they'll 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 making little flies for our groups, they're making um resources for our group. 
And uh, I think I was pressed by Sue. Sue asked if Sue was the one who, well, actually, it was Priscilla who gave me, um, she, told, she was the one who told me about some of the um, conferences that Saru was running, I think, at the time, or Modern Re actually, no, it was Reinforced, actually, but also with Saru. And I started going to conferences and I remember the very first conference I went to in Melbourne because I had an issue with the train because I couldn't get myself to go on a train. I because I got blocked, I got locked on the train. It was gone a few years prior to it. I um, which almost because they and that for some reason I was told to move from the second carriage to first class. So I thought, yeah, okay, because they said I would lock in the door in second class. It's okay. Anyway. As I got home from, as it came into Camperdown, the train came to Camperdown, I went to go open the door and the door was locked. Anyway, I freaked out because I know this train's not going to stay here very long. So I'm running all the way down to the other end. And uh, I managed to get out and that almost brought on a seizure, a migraine, yeah. a yeah. Almost brought, it almost caused me to have a huge seizure because I was like shaking all over and freaking out. And my mum really led it to V-Line and she said, she told, she told V-Line what happened and V-Line apologised saying, oh, we, that's not, that's right, we wouldn't lock the doors or anything like that and we apologise, we have you continue on using V-Line. It took me, it took Priscilla to help me get back on the train after nearly 10 years of not being on a trainer. So I was just that petrified, absolutely. Yeah. So I met Priscilla on the train and the first conference we went to was Why Sabbath Matters. And I, I just remember that because it was the very first self-advocacy meeting I ever went to and I was blown away. And that was run yeah, by Saru and Reinforce were there talking about self-advocacy. And then after that, I got talking with Sue and Sue, came, Sue was telling me all the other projects they'll get involved with and she asked, asked if I wanted to be part of the projects. I said, yeah, sure thing. And naturally I had Priscilla come along. She'd come along with me to help support me. And then, um, yeah, it does. after that, it just, that's how I got involved with Sarua. So, yeah, it started from that very, very first conference I went to her. The why stuff actually matters, and then after that, that's when I, um, uh, I started getting involved with Saru, work with Saru on projects with them. So yeah, nothing about us without us. Vatchat. Thanks to all the Vatchat team who contributed today. Our presenter and producer Warren Lauren, our audio director and composer Dan Sullivan, and a special thanks to Beck Biddle for sharing her story today. Fat Chat Podcast is part of the Voice at the Table training. Voice at the table.com.au